Last week, uh, beginning with our Wednesday night service on March the 23rd through the funeral service on Monday, we focused on the homegoing of, of Pastor H. Wayne Williams. And last Sunday morning, I talked about what do we do when Moses dies. And after a, an appropriate amount of time for grieving, uh, we are to arise and go. We are to stay with God's word. And we are to go forward with God's presence. And we saw that the, the mission remains the same. The message remains the same, and the method remains the same. And so with that in mind, we are going to go ahead and return to our series in the book of Genesis this morning, Genesis chapter 3. And I guess it's official now. You're stuck with me as your pastor. Amen. Um, Appreciate the amens. uh, (laughs) Such such great support from the the folks. Um, Genesis chapter 3, let's begin by reading verses 1 through 8. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, uh, from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning asking you to open our understanding that we might understand the Scriptures. Lord, I... I just pray for a sweet spirit now, that the Word of God would be delivered to every heart, and that things will be said in the right fashion and received in the same manner. And so, Lord, we ask you now to bless. In Jesus' name, amen. So last time, we focused on verses 4 and 5 as we considered Satan's strategy of deception. It started in verse 1. It continues in verses 4 and 5. He first questioned the Word of God in verse 1. And then he told an outright lie in verse 4. And then he added some truth in verse 5. And we saw that between verses 4 and 5, this is 85% truth and 15% of a lie. And we need to understand that Satan's strategy typically is to package his sinful temptations with enough truth to make it palatable. But the Bible says that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And he even has a way of taking what is factually correct, like he, he technically does in verse 5, but he has a way of presenting it in such a way that it brings a question against God's character. The devil there is really misrepresenting God, even with the truth that he is speaking. For example, he's, he's telling Eve there that God is holding back from you. God, there is something better that you could have, but God, because he doesn't like you as much... We hear that a lot from folks. 
you know, God just doesn't love me. Oh, yes, He does. And, and people will believe the lie that God, He doesn't love me. He's holding back from me. And so he, he, misrese- he misrepresents God that way. And then he's kind of insinuating that somehow God would be fearful if they were to become as gods, knowing good and evil, that somehow God would be like, uh-oh, my, my position as God is, is now in question. God is the creator, amen. And so he doesn't have any concerns with that. Uh, he just knew what was best for us. But Satan is crafty. Remember, he's a deceiver. Um, he's good at manipulating the Word of God. He's not only an accuser of the brethren, but he accuses God before the brethren. And last time we talked about how the temptation here is to live a life apart from God by becoming your own God. Satan tried this himself. He said, I will be like the Most High. And he fell. And he uses the same tactic against us because it still works. At the heart of all of this in our text, we said last time that it is a matter of submission. Would Eve submit to God and then would Adam submit to God? Remember James chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Now, we don't have time to recap at all that, that we covered, but the bottom line is, are you the God of your life? Or is God the God of your life? You can figure that out by what you prioritize in this life. That's the true answer. If God and the things of God are not the priority in your life, then you're still trying to be the God of your own life. It's really that simple. Now, before we move on to verse 6 and and continue pressing into this account, I want to consider why Satan tempts Eve and not Adam. I mentioned this in the past, but I want to bring it up again since that's where we're at in the text. One reason could be the fact that Adam is the one who received the commandment from God about this tree, and he's the one that passed it to Eve, apparently adding, neither shall you touch it. Perhaps Satan understood all this and understood that she would be an easier target as a result of the command being tweaked. Um, It could be number two. Remember from a few weeks ago while we were in chapter two, I mentioned how Satan doesn't tempt Eve with some outward physical carnal desire, but he tempts her with a higher level of spirituality. Ye shall be as God's. You can be more like God than you ever imagined because you're going to know good and evil. Satan appealed to the woman by saying she could be as God's or they could be as God's. According to recent surveys, it is a proven fact that women identify more spiritual than men. That doesn't mean more Christ-like. Spiritual can cover a lot of territory, amen. But women in general are more spiritual than men. And it is true that more men identify as atheists than women do worldwide. According to a 2014 religious landscape study, nearly 70% of professed atheists in America are men. Interesting. A Pew research revealed similar findings and, and if you'll study this out, you'll find worldwide that 70% level is there on average of men being the one who are denying spirituality far more than women do. And it's just the way men and women are wired differently. Amen. Y'all need to loosen up because it's going to get tense up in here. Amen. Um, 
men, they tend to be more logical. And by that, I don't mean women are illogical. What, what I mean is men, they tend to view things very black and white. There's not a whole lot of gray area. And it either is or it isn't. But women, on the other hand, they tend to be more emotional. And by that, I mean they're, they're driven by their feelings and their sensitivity. This is proven by simply looking at the most common career paths between men and women. The careers that are driven by logical thinkers are dominated by men. While careers that are, uh, involve uh, care and, and emotions, they're dominated by women. For example, in the engineering world, about 85% of engineers are men. In the computer programmer world, about 79% are men. And worldwide, when you look at the building trades, 97% are occupied by men. On the other hand, nearly 75% of all mental health therapists today are women. And 88% of personal care workers are women. I know the world today is desperately trying to break down these stereotypes, but it's still true that boys play more with Lincoln Logs and Legos than girls. And it's still true that girls play with dolls more than men. Boys. I like it or lump it, that's just the way God created us. So Satan, he comes to the woman and he tempts her because in general, women are the ones that are drawn to a higher level of spirituality. Many will credit their mother for guiding them spiritually as a child. Many women will be the first in a family to initially give religion a shot. Most wives are, a greater, are at a greater spiritual starting point than their husbands early on. And contrary to God's design, many women are now dominating the home as a result. Why do I tell you all this? Because I think it's important that we understand where our weaknesses lie, even though we may not like hearing it. Ladies, the Bible says you are the weaker vessel. And as such, you can be more easily drawn into different areas of spirituality that are packaged in very appealing ways. But within, it can be contrary to God's Word. And I'll get controversial here. Uh, for example, over 10 million copies of Jesus Calling by Sarah Young have been sold. But what many don't know is in the original introduction to her book, it was altered in 2013 because it had a fancy packaging, but inside it was talking about New Age mysticism and channeling. But all that was taken out by Thomas Nelson Publishing when it was realized this may not help ourselves. She wrote this, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. What does that say about her view on Scriptures? Why does she need something more than the Bible? Now I could do an entire sermon on the problems with that book, and as your pastor I would caution you against it. But if you think about it, what she said in her introduction is eerily similar to why Eve gave in to the temptation of Satan. The devil had convinced Eve that there was something more to experience. And women have flocked to Sarah Young's book by the millions. And, and I know some here have. And I'm not against you, I'm just trying to caution you. Why is this the case? Because women are drawn to a higher level of spirituality. That, is the, that can be a really good thing when it is steered in the right direction. But it can be a very dangerous thing when it is left 
unchecked. And as husbands and fathers, we need to be aware of this fact because it can lead to false teaching. Adam should have stepped up as the head of his wife, but as we'll see at the end of verse 6, he partakes of the forbidden fruit as well. Now why does he take the fruit? Because it was offered to him by the woman. I won't tell you the joke that Lander sent me on that, but you might can figure it out. And wives, you need to understand that your man's weakness is women. I know we're getting fruitier and fruitier in the age in which we live, but for the most part, this is still true. Uh, Satan, he understood this as well, perhaps. I don't know. We're not told. But I don't think Adam would have taken from Satan, but he sure did take this from his wife. The Bible is clear that Adam knew better. He wasn't drawn into the temptation. The Bible says he wasn't deceived by Satan's lie. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.14 that Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The, the woman will say to God in verse 13, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Adam just says the woman you, you, know, the woman you gave me, she gave to me. But, but Eve, she says, I was beguiled. She was deceived. And it is for that reason that in that context, over in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 12, just before, just before what I just read, Paul wrote this, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Why? Because of the woman's propensity to be drawn into greater spirituality, which may not be rooted in God's Word. And for what it's worth, I can further prove the the differences I've just cited between men and women by just considering the last two areas I've covered. When I say women are the weaker vessel, even though it's a direct quote from the Bible, how many women get emotionally charged? Who are you to tell me I'm the weaker vessel? Well, I didn't tell you that. God did. But it gets gets ladies fired up. Amen. Um, I can tell because it's tense. But when I say that a man's weakness is a woman, men say, yeah, that's true. (laughs) They don't argue about it. They just agree. Yeah, that's right. And so early on here, we find the two greatest weaknesses for men and women. Women are drawn away by spirituality and, 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 and emotions and can easily become deceived by genuinely believing this new thing will be a benefit. And, and, and often, men, I just got to be honest with you, it's usually because you've dropped the ball. And it's because you're not leading your home spiritually. And they are seeking for something that you are not providing that God said is your role to do. And they're desperate to find what it is that they need because you're not meeting that need. But let's move on from there. Because that's when men don't say amen. Men are easily drawn away by women physically. Just ask Abraham, Samson, David, Solomon. And we could go on. And and we can see this played out in a number of ways. And it doesn't have to be something sinful to prove my point here. In a healthy marriage relationship, we see that this principle is true. And and I'll try to word this delicately, but for things to really click on a physical level, a a husband has to reach his wife's mind, her emotions. Is everybody with me? All of a sudden, we're all independent Baptists again. Um, Like none of you have kids. Okay. Okay. But all a woman has to do is that thing that she does. 
And the man's ready. Somebody said, what does a man have to do in order to be ready? Roofing. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Anytime I do marriage counseling, I always mention women are like crock pots and men are like microwaves. And it's true. You got you to gotta plug your woman in early. You got to start preparing that meal. Uh, women, you know, it doesn't take anything for men. You just hit a couple of <laughs> yeah. It's just the way we're wired different. And why am I telling you this? Because our young people need to be aware of these differences. Because there are scoundrels out there who will play on a woman's emotions to get what he wants. If you loved me, you would do this. What is he doing? He's playing on her emotions. And then our, our men need to know there are women out there who will seduce a man with her provocative attire, her looks, and she'll get what she wants. And he gives in to her because he's physically charged. And that's where his weakness lies. So back to our text here. Satan has come to the woman because she is the one who would be more easily deceived by these lies. Ladies, don't get mad at that. It's not my opinion. It's Bible. Now, let's begin to move into verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise... She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. There's a lot here to try to unpack, but we see three things that she concluded about this tree. Number one, it was good for food. Number two, it was pleasant to the eyes. Number three, it was desired to make one wise. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17 through 17 say, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." And so when, when the woman perceived that the tree was good for food, she was lusting in her flesh. The three things that John points out. She lusted in her flesh. When she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, she lusted with her eyes. And when she desired it to make her wise, she had the pride of life. The Apostle John said all that is in the world is contained in these three areas. All of our sinful problems in life come down to one of these three areas. Every temptation is rooted in either something to please our flesh, something that is appealing to our sight, or something to feed our pride. And sometimes, like in our text, it'll be all three. And what's interesting to me is Satan didn't tell her the first two things that she concluded about this tree. He didn't tell her it was good for food. Satan didn't tell her it was pleasant to the eyes. She came to those conclusions on her own. And it's amazing how we can take a temptation and we can add things to it to help justify our sinfulness. Now, I think it's safe to say that out of these three, the greatest temptation was to be made wise. I say this because they already had trees that were good for food. They already had trees that were pleasant to the eyes. But this was the only tree being offered to make them wise. And therefore, I believe the pride of life and being made wise was their greatest temptation in this scenario. Matthew Henry wrote, Our first parents who knew so much did not know this, that they knew enough. 
Let me say that again because it's worth repeating. Our first parents who knew so much did not know this, that they knew enough. They didn't need anything else. All the knowledge they needed in this life, is it was already contained in who God is. The same is, the same is true for us. All that we need in this life for wisdom and knowledge is all contained in God. Of Jesus, it says in Colossians 2.3, in, in, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're hid in Christ. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 1 Corinthians 1.3, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Ephesians 1.8 says of Christ, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Where do you get this from? Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Paul said to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation uh, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You see, all we need is God. Uh, and, and all we need to know of God is already contained in His Word. We don't need something else to help us understand God. It's here. Amen. We, we have all the knowledge we need here. Are you even in the book? This is where wisdom and knowledge are found. And the Bible is very clear that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And therefore, Eve didn't need to look any further than her relationship with God to find wisdom because she already possessed all the wisdom that God wanted her to have. The same was true with Adam. And likewise, we don't need to go looking for wisdom apart from God. Now, the difference between us and Adam and Eve is they were born perfect. Or born perfect. They were created perfect. <laughs> we'll get this figured out. They were created perfect. But you and I, we are born sinners. So we are told that we have to search for wisdom. We have to find it. We have to seek after it. That's the difference there. But she already had all she needed. And listen, we have all we need. We just have to go get it. It's already there for us. And you see, the problem with Eve here is while she had all that she needed, she lusted for something more. She wasn't content with who she was in God. And that's so many people. So many people are just not content in who they are in God. I think God should do more, and I think God should do this, and I think I should have that, and I should have this. Just be content. Don't overcomplicate the Christian life. Many do overcomplicate it because they're not content in Christ. And they keep thinking, there must be more to the Christian life. There must be more. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul said, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What was Paul concerned about? Don't overcomplicate things. Don't try to make Christianity more than it is. Don't try to make it less than it is. Don't, don't overcomplicate things. You, you say, well, what is the Christian life? I'll tell you this. It is not some mystical practice. But, but it is simply walking with God. It's having a relationship with God. Jesus is going to say in the end whether or not He knew you. It's about knowing Him. It's about having a relationship. And so don't overcomplicate it. Just, just walk with God. Have your life hid with God in Christ Jesus. The Christian life is Christ living in you. So we find, first of all, that she saw, and in, 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 in that she perceived. And in verse 6, we, we find, continuing on here, she took, and then she did eat. 
she, she saw, but then she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Now I want you to notice that Satan didn't take the fruit off of the tree for her. He doesn't put the fruit in her hand. He doesn't put the fruit to her mouth. He doesn't force her to eat. And in this we learn that Satan may tempt us to sin, but he cannot force us to sin. He may try to persuade us to cast ourselves down, but he cannot cast us down. One of Satan's temptations to Christ in the wilderness was, cast thyself down. He could not cast down the Son of God, but he could tempt him to do so. Now, there's something about forbidden fruit which seems appealing to our carnal nature. Mankind is routinely drawn after that which is forbidden. It's really an indication of the depravity that we're in apart from from God. Proverbs 9, verses 17 and 18 tell us, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Proverbs 20 and verse 17 says, Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. You know, Achan took of the accursed thing when the children of Israel defeated Jericho. He couldn't seem to help himself, but he took of a goodly Babylonian garment and he took a wedge of gold and he hid it under his tent. And it's called the accursed thing. He caused Israel to sin and it ended up costing him and his family their lives. Ahab the king desired Naboth's field, which was Naboth's inheritance. And and that meant he was not allowed to sell it because of God's law of the inheritance. And yet Ahab wanted it And Ahab's wife, Jezebel, she conceived a plan to get this land for Ahab and it cost Naboth his life. Samson desired strange women and it cost him his eyes. David desired Bathsheba and it cost him his house. Solomon desired strange women and it cost him his heart. Israel desired to be like other nations and it cost them their kingdom. In every instance we could cite from the Bible or even from our own lives of partaking of something forbidden, there was never a time that we were forced to do it. We need to understand this because many are giving Satan way too much credit. James 1, 14 and 15, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when it is finished... It bringeth forth death. Satan didn't force that bottle to your mouth. He didn't force a needle into your arm. He didn't force you to worship other gods. He didn't force you to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He didn't force you to view the Lord's day as just another day. He didn't force you to dishonor your parents. He didn't force you to kill, to commit adultery, to steal, to bear false witness, or to covet. Don't blame Satan. Don't blame him for your sinfulness. But just admit that you're a sinner. Know the depravity of your carnal nature. Recognize your need for a Savior. And then embrace the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's quickly uh, finish verse 6 here. One last thing from verse 6. She saw, she took, she ate, and lastly, she gave. Notice the progression to her transgression. She first perceived She viewed, she reached out and took it, and she ate of it. You are first going to think about your sin. 
And then you'll begin to see it. And then you'll connect to it in some way. And then you'll indulge in sin. And if that wasn't bad enough, she gave to her husband. Someone said, it is wrong to partake of sin, but it's evil to pass your sin on to somebody else. Don't drag another into the depth of your depravity. So what can we learn from this? Know your weaknesses. Know the weakness of your spouse. Put some guardrails in place. And like Barney Fife would say, you got to nip it. Nip it in the bud. Eve saw the tree. She began to perceive something that wasn't true. And she should have, she should have retreated to the Word of God. She already, she already had it. She already said it. Yeah, she added to it. Neither shall you touch it, but still, that would have kept her from it. And so as, as we're looking at what she said to the serpent, she makes it clear that God said, you shall not eat of it. What, what was the response? What did she need to do? She needed to go back to the Word of God. And that is the first response, not our emotions. But our first response is to be what never changes, and that's God's Word. It is, it is there that we find truth, wisdom, and knowledge. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, and she, stood up, she should have stopped beholding the forbidden fruit. But she started to behold it with pleasure. Many sins begin with what we dwell on with our eyes. This is especially true for men. The Bible is clear that the eyes will affect our heart. Job understood this, so he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? And if you know you are in danger of lusting after something, learn not to look upon it and to fear God more. If you don't place some restraints on yourself, then once the downhill slide starts, it's very difficult to stop. Many have ended up much further into their sin than they ever thought they would be. When someone takes their first drink underage, they don't think they'll be the one who becomes a drunkard and does whatever it takes to get another buzz. When someone takes their first drug, they don't think they'll be the one who is addicted and their teeth are falling out. And then they do whatever it takes to get the next high. When someone first looks at pornography, they don't think it's going to lead them into the gutter of the internet that they eventually find themselves in. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? And so when confronted with sin, we're not even to meddle with it. Joash, the king of Israel, said to Amaziah, the king of Judah, Why shouldest thou meddle to thine hurt that thou shouldest fall? Don't even meddle with it. So what are we to do with sinful temptations? The Bible says in Proverbs 4.15, we are to avoid it. We are not even to pass by it. We, we are to turn from it. And we're to find another way around it. And we do so when we go back to the Word of God, His commands, His guardrails, His standards, His convictions. When we go back to God's command, then we are retreating into the castle of God's Word. And that's what we need to learn to do when this kind of scenario is happening in your life and it happens to all of us daily.
we are tempted to sin. What is your response going to be? You need to go back to the Word of God. Let's pray.